0: Everyone is given the same amount of time, and it's the one thing you can't buy. Keep going,
1: never quit. The day I think about quitting is, you know, the day you die. Find something hard to do. Every successful person loves doing the hard things, right? Like there's, it starts with one step. Whether you're running 101 Ironmans, or you're running a marathon, or you're walking down the
0: street, that journey, however long or small, starts with one step, right? It's literally all mental. So I'm curious in terms of like how... How you can apply that same framework to, like, business. All right. Welcome to the show, Casey Adams. So happy to have you here, man.
1: Thanks so much for having me on the show, Tim.
0: Of Appreciate course. Appreciate it. And we found out, Casey and I, that we have a ton of mutual friends. <laughs> this is a much smaller world than you guys think. Indeed. So many friends. Yeah, um, And I used to live in LA as well, and Casey lives in Marina Del Rey. Yeah. But- would love to just jump right in and learn more about you. Like you're only 22 years old and you're absolutely crushing it. You've been doing podcast games for five years. So take me back to when you were 17. Like, yeah. How did you just get the idea when you're basically still in high school to start a podcast? Yeah.
1: Yeah, So, I mean, it's so crazy. Just even thinking back, you know, five years, five and a half hosting the show and just, seeing how the medium has changed over the years and how podcasting it's, it has grown. It's so cool because, you know, when I started the show, I didn't think about it as like the podcasting industry. It was just like, hey, I, I want to um, use this outlet to connect with people. And what really led to the inspiration for the show was I, I was born and raised in a small town of Virginia. And growing up, I, you know, I didn't have any like businessy, entrepreneurial friends or family members. And I was an athlete. I played hockey for ten years. I played lacrosse in high school. And then sophomore year of high school, I was playing football, which played for a couple of years. And I ended up getting injured sophomore sophomore year of high school where I ended up in a neck brace for over six months. Wow. I was diagnosed with interspineous ligament damage. So this injury literally it was the first day of hitting practice, like super amped up for the football season, get injured. And I remember you know, I go to the doctor the next day after I hurt my neck. And he says, after getting x-rays, you can never play football again. You have to be in a neck brace for six months and you have to really just take it easy, right? Like your spine is very unstable. And it just led to this six month journey of initially depression and not sure what I wanted to do with my time, my life, and just angry at the world. But just slowly but surely shifted to this world of personal development and business and entrepreneurship from the people that i was following out online at the time and you know not to go too in depth yet but a year of just immersing myself in that space podcasting just started to appear in terms of what i was listening to and i just saw it as a great opportunity to share my story to hopefully connect with people and interview them and and learn something at the end of the day that's amazing Yeah, that's how what initially led to the idea to start the podcast.
0: Yeah. I almost feel like those times where where you have some sort of like traumatic event or some some, you know, serious catalyst in your life, those are where you you really have time to like sit down and self reflect to see like what you want to do or or like what needs to change.
1: Totally. I think it's so clear looking back at, you know, like, oh, that moment changed my perspective and my my life in a sense. But I, I think it's so hard for people to just to recognize like when you're going through something like that, like, cause you sometimes get so caught up in what you're dealing with versus like, how it's transforming you and what you can learn from the situation. And that doesn't mean injuries that can mean, you know, breakups or, you know, if you're married, divorces, whatever it may be, just having those moments in life that you can reflect on as a transformative stage for me, that like, that was again, like a blessing in disguise. And quite frankly, looking back, I don't know what I would be doing if that didn't occur in my life. And that was when I was 16 in high school. I'm in a neck brace, just have no clue what the future holds. And yeah. it was just the domino effect that you know we'll get into today that just opened up all these different paths with, with the right commitment and just dedication to it.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. So in terms of, so you launched a podcast, basically you're still in high school when you launched a podcast. Yeah, it was sophomore year of high school. And then tell me more about that. Were you just like filming an episode a week? Like what were you what were you talking about? You know, yeah, like you're yeah. probably just putting it out there and then I I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm guessing friends and family would, would be your only listeners in the early days. It was it was
1: so interesting. So from a timeline perspective, um I got injured in like early 2016 and middle of 2016 when I was coming out of my neck brace and like the months prior, I was you know, following people like Gary Vaynerchuk, Tony Robbins, and like all these different people, entrepreneurs online that were sharing great content. And I remember reading Gary's V's book, Crushing It. And the last chapter, if I'm not mistaken, is titled Podcasting. And it was just what podcasting is, why it's an important medium, why you should be spending time on it, like what it can do for your personal brand and how you can meet people through it. And I remember just the epiphany that I had was, wow, I can simply talk on a microphone in this, you know, different format than a YouTube video or something that requires so much high effort and high output and learn something from people that I want to interview. And that was my motive at the time. It was like, hey, I'm, I'm coming from this small town where none of the people that I'm surrounded with, you know, friends at school, you name it. They weren't people that I believe were going to help me level up, right? Like the quote, you are who you associate with. I wanted to just build my network. And for me, 16 at the time, no relationships. The podcast was just a natural way, in my opinion, to kickstart that. And I remember just interviewing initially friends of mine who I met on social media, um, like my my now business partner or past business partner at Media Kids, Kieran O'Brien. We met on social media. He was one of the first people that I interviewed. And you know, to the question of like what was I talking about, some of the first episodes were like solo episodes where I was talking about my neck injury, talking about building a personal brand on social media because I was just attempting to do that at the time. And then I slowly but surely got into just getting interviews when I could uh, have people on the show and you know, looking back just for context for everyone that's listening. I've done over 400 interviews now from Larry King to Elon Musk's mom and sister to the founders of Twitch and Netflix. And I I would have never imagined just the caliber of guests. but just, you know, how one thing leads to the next. Like you can never predict who you're going to have on the show. You can have a core plan to have them on the show, but looking back and seeing how like, oh, this guest led to this one and this opened up this door. And it's just, It it creates that network effect. And with, you know, time invested, which for me, five and a half years, it's, it's blossomed into such a business development tool, brand builder, and something I truly love doing as you do the art of a good conversation and what you can learn within it is just something I'm obsessed with.
0: Amazing. And so tell me about like those, the early days in terms of getting your first guest, like what would you say was your first big, semi-big <laughs> guest, you know, where it's yeah. like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm not just sitting here filming. Uh, totally.
1: I remember there was probably two people that stuck out to me. And, and just for context, when I started the show, this was 2017 in December, 2017. And, you know, I had this list of people I wanted to interview, people that I was following. And the first person that Really, just I had to take a step back and say, "Oh my God, I'm interviewing this person." Was a guy known as Drama. Um, his name's Chris Drama Faff. Do you know Drama? Yeah. Yep. Young and Reckless, Robin yep. Big. So, if you're maybe I'm 22. If you're anywhere close to my age, you've probably watched Robin Big growing up. Yep. And it was just one of those moments where I remember when I was setting up to interview him. It was just a crazy moment, not only for me, but kind of my whole family. I was still living at home at the time, and. You know, we used to, when I say we, my family and I, two brothers, mom and dad, used to watch those shows together. Robin Big, Ridiculousness. And it was just such a moment where I'm like, wow. I DM drama. He posted a picture of a book. And I was like, hey, like absolutely love that book. Would be such a pleasure to talk about, you know, your story, Young and Reckless, on the podcast. Gave him a little context on it. He agreed to it. And it was like one DM. Sometimes it takes, you know, 10 different follow-ups to get people. And then sometimes it's just, you know, send a message and if they're open to the idea of it and you present yourself correctly, you can get a yes. And that was, I think the like 30th episode maybe. Um, But it just sort of made me sit up and say, wow, like you're only one DM away or you're only one message away from opening up a conversation, having having someone on your show. And it just stressed the importance of being obsessed with output because that's the only reason why. You know, people come on podcasts. Like, yes, you could have people reaching out to you once you've had a show for years, but that's always been my mindset: is like reaching out, consistently following up. And you know, to your question, that was one of the first people that I was like, "Wow, that's super cool."
0: Yeah, that's amazing, and that that just really shows as well. It's just the power of like social media. Yeah, right. Like the fact that you you just grew up in Virginia and were able to just literally send a DM. To get like someone you used to watch on, on TV it, yeah. is crazy.
1: And it's, and even just thinking back on it, like it, that DM, if you just break it down and sort of take it back in context, that DM, which led to the podcast, which led to I was coming out to LA a lot when like senior year of high school, once a month, every other month, going to different networking events. And it led to not only building a great relationship with drama, but we ended up hosting two events together, one in 2018, one in 2019 here in LA. Um, We sold like 300 tickets, like, you know, low ticket, affordable. And we had these great networking events where we had speakers like the founder of Revolve, Rob Dierda, came out and spoke, um, Robert Green, just so many incredible people from Dramas Network, from my network. After he initially spoke in an event I was hosting in Scottsdale when I was living out there. And it's just, you know... As someone that has a podcast, you understand just how relationships can get expedited in your life from sitting down with someone and like knowing their story, knowing where they come from, knowing who they are. It's just such a powerful thing, in my opinion, that leads to so much more in, in fruitful relationships. Um, but I think this, it stresses the importance of just not only the, the significance of the podcast in my life, but just the art of a quality conversation and how it can lead to more.
0: Absolutely. And I think I'm sure now you've known after doing 400 interviews or or podcast episodes, you probably know so many people now. You've probably built such strong relationships and it's really just like being genuinely curious about someone's life.
1: Totally. I mean, Larry King, when I interviewed him, one of the biggest takeaways that I always quote is he says, I've never learned anything while I was talking. And it just emphasizes this idea of listening and being a good listener. And I think that's just my motto, period, is I love conversations, but whether that's on a podcast or in the street or talking to valet, just being someone that's intentionally listening, it's so easy to be distracted on your phone when you're in conversation or when you're on a walk or when you're on the phone with with your family, whatever it is. And I think just having a podcast has allowed that to be such a strong um, just characteristic that I like to live by. Is just intentional listening 24 seven. And of course we can all improve in many different ways. Um, but yeah, that's, it's important to me.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. And so after, after high school you, you make the decision to, did you go to college?
1: I did not. So yeah. I, I graduated 2018, um, moved out a month later to Arizona.
0: Wow. Straight to Arizona. Yeah. Well, what made you decide on, on that?
1: So at the time, I was running a media company um, called Builder Empire, and my good friend Kieran and our other good friend Jeff, JR Garage, they were both living in Northern Virginia. They graduated high school a year prior to me, and we were all best friends, always traveling together just to different events and everything. And I remember I made the decision to move to Arizona without ever having been to Arizona. And like Jeff had family out there. My two business partners at the, at the media company were living out there. So it just made sense. And I, we went out there and that was that. I, I just made the commitment to moving out there and just took a leap of faith. And looking back, it was such a foundational part of just my career, my my adulthood. You know, I moved out at 18, lived in Scottsdale for two years. And then now I've been in LA for just over two years. Yep. Um, But it, it feels like so long ago, even though it was only two and a half years ago, because the amount of just mental growth from 18 to 22 and, and you know, by not going to college and building companies and um Scottsdale like, I have such a love and appreciation for Scottsdale and I quite frankly love the city like I was just there a couple weeks ago and just every time I go back it's it's feels nostalgic to me yeah. um even though it was just a very short time that I lived there um but yeah that's what led to moving out to Arizona Nice
0: Dude I feel like once life moves fast like you don't even remember what happens like last year yeah. or even like earlier this year you know yeah. it's like where where was I in January I, I don't remember Yeah so that
1: i i definitely feel that
0: so i want to learn about um i want to learn about the early day grind right because i i think now everyone sees you with you know over 400 episodes and interviewed, you know some amazing guests but it wasn't always like that right it's 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 the risk you took it's it's the hustle it's 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 being persistent tell me more about those early days where it's like you moved to arizona what what was your day-to-day like in terms of like now that you're going full-time on the podcast, yeah, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, even like prior to moving to Arizona, you know, there's that, and I think everyone faces it in life, right? Like self-doubt, just why am I moving there or why am I making a decision or why am I quitting my job or why am I like taking this job? And you know, again, just to reference it, like I grew up in an environment where I had the most loving and supporting parents, two older brothers. and. Just what what I've done just the past five years like hasn't been done in terms of I have no family on the West Coast I, I didn't know anyone on the West Coast and like to make such a like in my opinion from where I come from like a big jump to mm. move across the country at eighteen years old with no backup plan like, it's a risk and I feel like at the time I really didn't think about it like that and it's not that I do now but even having just the couple years that I do now to reflect I'm like wow like those big decisions that you make that just alter the direction of your life. You know, if I think back of like the daily grind or or, or however you phrase the question, you know, the podcast was something that it took up a lot of time. And it it was just, it was one of those things that you have to live and breathe it, but no matter what you're doing, if you wanted to be successful, even like reflecting on the journey of media kits, right? Like, in my opinion, when you really attach yourself to something and like create your identity around it and obsess over it, that's where you can really like move the needle. And if until you do that, it's you know you can have something that you're excited about and passionate about, but once you're committed and all in, that's where I feel like big um, strides can happen. Yeah. Um, but I, I know for the question like day to day grind. You know, over the years, it's it's changed a lot, right? For like yeah. from media kits and we raised around the funding to building a team to then just being solo podcasts Media kits
0: is that separate from your Casey Adams? Yeah,
1: show? Okay. media kits. Okay. It's a tech company I launched in 2021. Got it. Um, but like prior to that, it was you know just trying so many different things from Facebook advertising agencies to working with clients to doing podcast sponsorships to just running the show and building my personal brand overall to throwing different networking masterminds and yeah. just trying and, and being willing to just put myself out there. And I think a lot of young people, you know, if you're 16, 17, 18 years old, that's the biggest thing that I am so happy that I did is just the willingness to say yes to things, to put yourself out there, to not, to not not be afraid, but to just take those leaps of faith. I remember like the first stage I spoke on, I was 16 years old. And this is is actually a funny story. The first time I was ever in California, it was um, January 2017, and prior to that, the first company I started when I was 16, living in Virginia still, was Facebook Advertising Agency. It was running Facebook ads and managing like Instagram accounts for my chiropractor, my dentist, just local businesses in my area, charging a month of retainer, and therefore, I had some money to be able to hopefully book a plane ticket to California. Prior to that, I've never been on a plane. I'm 16 years old, and I ended up meeting... This guy on Instagram, who's now a good friend of mine, Caleb Maddox, that's like, hey, I'm speaking at this event in California. You should come out and speak on this like young entrepreneur panel. And to my parents, it sounds crazy. It's like we've never been to California. You've never been on a plane. Like, what are you talking about? And I remember that, you know, the rejection of being told like you can't be there when, in my eyes at the time, that was the biggest opportunity and thing I needed to do if I wanted to like make progress. I ended up like booking the plane tickets for my dad and I going downstairs, like telling him, Hey, we're going and going out to San Diego. That's when I met so many just great people that are still in my life today. And it was like, to my point of saying that story of like being willing to put yourself out there, being willing to just, you know, whether that's parents or the world or society to just trust your gut and to make a decision on that. Um, I think now, just as time goes on, and you know, again, I'm young, I'm 22, but just seeing and being on my own for the past couple of years, it, you start to notice, like, wow, like that youthful energy that I do still have, but I'm, so, I feel so like changed over the past couple of years in such a great way that I think as a to the initial question, like, what did the early days look like? Is just obsessing over that gut instinct to do more, to put myself out there, and to like make those. You know, at the time, what would feel like the biggest decision to go to an event or to travel to New York to meet this one person, Um, I just made everything seem so big because it was to me at the time. And I think if you do that, it it just opens up so many doors and creates opportunity.
0: Absolutely. So... So you were basically grinding and making money on on different businesses essentially while you were getting up the podcast in Persona.
1: Yeah. Mainly Facebook advertising business for like, yeah. like a good two years, like 16, 17, 18. Dude, I I think that's
0: out. like the, the go to, right? Like when you're <laughs> when you're first starting out in business, yeah. like even for me, and obviously mine mine failed. Um, like that was one of the first things I, I tried was social media marketing agency. Yeah. Right. Absolutely.
1: So, and it, and it's, you know, you had it was such a and still is. It's a phenomenal business for anyone that's looking to you know go get a handful of clients, charge a monthly retainer, build a skill set, and then you can apply that in so many different areas of your life. Exactly. Like from Facebook advertising at the time, I was also doing work with like personal brands, managing the personal brands on Facebook, doing viral video campaigns, just like trying different things. Yep. Um But yeah, that was I did that for a while for sure.
0: Nice. So when when did you decide? And and maybe maybe you didn't stop your side businesses, but did you basically hit a point where it's like the podcast has now hit traction or momentum and maybe you got your first sponsor in the podcast and you're like, I'm gonna go all in on the podcast and and stop the agency or or Yeah like where where was that inflection point?
1: Yeah. So when I moved to Arizona, I was still doing podcasts full time, but we I was running a company called Build Your Empire, which is a media company. I had two partners that I was also working with at the time in terms of like there were clients. We acquired this Instagram page that had a million followers a lot of entrepreneurial community and we were running this um like entrepreneur house concept which was very cool looking back and we did it for just over a year and a half and that was like the events business so i was i'm very familiar and experienced with just hosting events running events we were you know not necessarily it wasn't like an official annual mastermind but we were doing quarterly events for this was 2018 um like early 2020 and the events were in LA. They were in Scottsdale, and that was something that I did for a while. And you know, the podcast was still the main like personal brand thing. Um, but that business builder empire was all-consuming at the time in terms of like the journey and the stepping stone.
0: Nice, nice. And so, when did you start monetizing your your podcast? You know, did you start getting hit up by sponsors? Did you start yeah. reaching out? Because um, I'm I'm sure you thought about your podcast as a yeah, business yeah, as well,
1: for sure you know the podcast over the years you know I'll be the first one to say it. I haven't it's yes it's a monetization opportunity but for me and the whole core reason I like I've hosted the show and this is kind of like a full circle moment so when I started the show there were three core reasons of why and I kind of mentioned them earlier one meeting people building a network two learning from them and three just the business opportunity and the the deal flow of not even deal flow but just people and the you know, the long-term value of building a phenomenal network. And fast forward to 2021 when we were going out to raise capital for media kits, like how I view my podcast isn't is in like some of the one-off deals I've done, but in terms of like the bigger picture of what the podcast has allowed me to do. Yeah. And like media kits, which, um, you know, tech company, easiest way to create a media kit for creators, real-time data and analytics. Um, we raised around a round of funding in 2021, $1.5 million. And not, I would say like 90% of the investors that invested were through the podcast. So like when you think wow. about, you know, monetization of, is one thing of like deal flow. But I think about my podcast as in like the next 10, 20 years, like how can I bring the most incredible minds in the world into my world to then create this network where I can help other people, you know, connect the dots. But then like do deals, whether that's in my own ventures or raising a fund or, you know, angel investing, whatever it may be. So like, the sponsorships, which I've done, and I, and I could list some brands here and there that I've worked with. But I think what's important to know and how I think about it um, is in like the much bigger playing ground of like, how can you bring value from a business perspective by having a show? For me, it's not the one off deals, but like, how do you get equity in a company when you in, instead of just having them pay you? And I, I, there's this company that I'm an advisor of called Colin. Uh, it's a social podcasting app that's run by David Sachs. If you're familiar with David, and he has the All In podcast and everything. And we did a deal. I was, you know, doing a lot of my shows on there for a while, just like I, I call them like post show interviews. Um, and then last year, I think a brand that I really enjoyed working with the most um, is Slack. So last year, I, I worked with Slack for. Four months, no, three months, last quarter, and it was actually really cool. And I think this is a unique perspective for podcasters to think about. Where, you know, when you think about like the average CPM for a podcast in terms of like downloads to how much you're paid, it's it's typically like twenty five dollars per thousand downloads, dollars. like the the typical industry standard. How I've always thought about deals is it's yes the podcast, but it's like the entire personal brand, like vertically integrated deal stack. Where with Slack. It was, yes, we did some podcast ads, but I did, you know, a couple of different Instagram reels and TikTok stuff and Twitter stuff. But what was the most interesting that I loved and that I continue to think about is I hosted this, um, like live workshop on the Slack LinkedIn page, you know, which has millions of followers hosted it as like a podcaster hosted with small business owners. And it was like an hour and a half thing that I did hosting, talking small business it was during like small business appreciation day or a month. Um, and working with Slack and just being a a podcaster, but then using you know the talents of let's say a hosting or you know dealing with panelists uh, being used in a different light was something I found very cool and, and something that how I try to think about deals is like it's not the one-off podcast. it's the entire vertical integrated brand stack.
0: Yeah. see that's that's amazing because you're really looking at it in terms of the big picture. Right. Yeah, it's not mean, I, just short term cash. It's it's yeah. it's much bigger for you. Like who knows Absolutely. what what other company or what other ventures you do down the line.
1: Totally. So. Yeah, and I think that's that's how I think about it so much more now. And and I felt that the Media Kits journey of raising capital and a lot of the initial investors coming from the um the podcast just sort of closed the loop on my thinking, right? Like it's one thing to think something of like when I'm 17, like, oh, I want to build this so that if I ever want to go raise money or raise a fund because I'm interested in venture capital, like this is a great way to just build trust, build relationships, and, you know, learn a lot about the industries that you want to dive into. Like before launching a SaaS company, I probably interviewed 50 different SaaS founders, right? And it's just, before I one day launch a venture capital fund, I'll interview 50 different, you know, GPs of funds and just, that's how I use the podcast, yeah. And obviously, you build content through that. You build trust. You build relationships. But it's more or less about the the podcast directly in terms of like one off deals and just
0: deal flow as a yeah you know, as a whole. Wow, that's so smart. I didn't even <laughs> think about it like that <laughs> because it's like what you said. Wow, you you blew my mind there because that's, I'm glad because it's it's like it's it's kill two birds with one stone. Absolutely. Wow. Um so
1: yeah and I think it's powerful like even just like if there's any podcasters out there listening or someone like yourself like I think podcasting as a medium it's grown so much over the years but you also realize that growing a show is hard you know working with sponsors that that actually create lucrative you know business opportunity f- for you is hard like how do you work with your community how do you build trust how do you build fans how do you build people that enjoy the show but then what are the what's the higher purpose of the show right it's it's not to have the most viewed short form clips it's not to have the most necessarily downloaded podcasts like what you get from is is that and that you know notoriety and you know being able to sit down with people but you get to learn great things you get to meet great people if you're of course doing an interview show and then that cultivated and compounded you have this incredible network of people that you a get to help figure out ways to help them maybe connect the dots between people but then figure out like what's the bigger business opportunity right and i think that a lot of podcasters, not only should think about this way, but it's just such a, in my opinion, long term view on the power of a podcast that I will forever value and think about it that way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, so going back to the early days, right? Like, were you just DMing nonstop, <laughs> or like when when did you hit that point where it's like it started being less manual and you started just getting referrals from? Just because you built up such a big base. Yeah. Definitely a lot of
1: DMs and still is. Like, I've always thought about my show, where like, hey, I, I want to book the people, I want to have the mutual, like, the vested interest in wanting to have the conversation with someone. And yeah, the first 90 days of hosting my show, I had a goal to interview 60 different people. So, like, very ambitious because this is a funny story. Right around the time I was launching my show, K-Swiss, the sneaker brand, they were doing a collaboration with Gary Vaynerchuk. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was like super like commenting on K-Swiss Instagram and like DMing them and ended up interviewing the CEO of K-Swiss. And it led to me just getting this, I should say, like the early access of the Gary V001 K-Swiss shoes. And it led to me DMing Gary and saying, oh my God, like thank you so much for your team sending this out i just started a podcast like what would it take to get five minutes of your time in new york and he's like let's do it here's you know email assistant and boom 90 days from then i had this meeting with gary v and this that was like early 2018. so i I sort of set this internal goal of like okay i have this meeting with gary v i want to ask him questions and like you know be of value when i come in there for the five ten minutes that we have scheduled so I had made the goal, do 60 interviews. So it just, the pendulum swung in terms of output. It was just nonstop DMing and I ended up hitting that goal and interviewing so many wonderful people. Like during that time frame, it was Andy Frisella, I had my let. It was um, just drama. All those people that I was initially thinking like, wow, this is, I don't know what I'm gonna say. Like the nerves, everything. Um, I was just so committed to hitting that. And then once I did, met with Gary. It was just sort of a reconfirming my thoughts on what the show is. And he's just like, Hey, like double down. And I have, there's a video somewhere on YouTube where it's like a little like a short five, 10 minute thing. It wasn't an official podcast. And you met with them in New York. Yeah. Okay. His office in New York. Yeah. short. I literally like skipped a day or two of school to go to New York for the day. I'm a senior in high school. And it just reconfirmed my thinking of the show. And, you know, to the question of, DMs, like that's all it was, mainly Instagram DMs and, you know, some Twitter here and there, some cold email, but mainly Instagram DMs. And I think more than just a DM asking, but like being strategic, especially when you start building up the momentum, right? Like some people ask me, and I always reference this story because it's, I think it kind of bridges the gap of how to think about it. So I interviewed Rick Ross in 2020 and it was online. And prior to interviewing Rick Ross, I interviewed Robert Green, who's author of The 48 Laws of Power. And before interviewing Rick Ross, I obviously had Robert Green on, but when I was reaching out to Rick Ross on Instagram, it was, you know, twelve million followers, never thought he'd get back to me, I reached out and said something along the lines of this. I was like, Hey, like, hey Rick Ross, I um I have a podcast, the Casey Adams Show. It'd be such a pleasure to have you on. I recently had Robert Green on the show. Show's only twenty minutes. Like, let me know if you're down or let me know if you're interested. And there was a couple of things in there that and I butchered the message but it was along those lines and a couple of things that I want to point out that I always try to do when booking guests is you know it's good to have a reference point right like and I knew that Robert uh, that Rick Ross absolutely loved Robert Greene like favorite author raved about him publicly on wow. social media so I told him that just for the context of like hey I just interviewed Robert Greene one of your favorite authors told him the time frame like hey it'll be 20 25 minutes I wanted to keep it short and sweet it ended up going over But it's funny because now there's this clip of Rick Ross saying, and I I referenced this because it's a funny story. He's like, you know, you approached me like a boss. You came here. You didn't ask for anything. You just told me this is what it is. This is what you get. Like, boom, let me know. And it it took a lot of sending DMs, unsending, sending, unsending everything. I think there was like 10 interactions with him prior of like a year trying to do it. Um, And I also interviewed the the company. He's a part of Bel Air Champagne. And I interviewed prior to him interviewing him as well, the CEO of Sovereign Brands, who runs and like, operates on the back end, all of these different alcohol brands, including Bel Air. So it's just like, before thinking about booking a guest, like, how can you be more calculated? Not because you want to go interview people to have that X, Y, Z person on, but just like, how can you you know, be interested about their sphere of influence? If you're interested in someone, chances are you're probably interested in the people that they either do business with or that they admire. And that's how I always think about it, right? Like if I want to go interview someone so badly and I'm like, wow, I'd love to have that conversation. I think like, who are they influenced by in their lives? And like, why wouldn't I be curious about them, right? And that, that kind of what happened with, um, I haven't interviewed Wiz Khalifa yet. I one day would love to, but his- It's gonna happen. You yeah. manife- You just manifested it right now. It's gonna happen. <laughs> Absolutely. But his manager, Will back. who's a really good friend of mine now, I, I've always been like super, like a big fan of Wiz growing up and like Taylor Gang, their whole brand that they've built. And I've just, again, like I've always been curious about their whole world and how it, how it works and like the journey where I interviewed like one of um, Wiz Khalifa's like good friends, Ludi, who like has been, a, who's been a part of their crew for a long time, interviewed him and they really hit it off with him, which then led to interviewing Will, who's the CEO of his record label, Taylor Gang. And just me and Will, again, like became good friends, hit it off, which led to then when I was raising money for media kits, which, um, and we'll dive into that in a bit, but I just was more so curious to get his perspective on this tool that we were building because we were going to be working with musicians and he ended up being an investor and Wiz was involved. And then Wiz performed at a launch party in 2021 and just the domino effect, like just going back to this, the podcast, like those are the opportunities that not that I seek, but that I know happen with compounding, right? Like I'm 22 and to think that, you know, our conversation today and how our relationship will build over the years, like that's what I think about. And like today, you know, meeting you for the first time, being on the show is my definition of just planting the seed, right? And like, how can you go plant the seeds with quality people that you admire, that you find that you're curious about, that you're curious about their sphere of influence. And I, I think that that's how you can just, you know, not only people like say like, oh, like luck, how do you create luck? And I define luck as just planting seeds with the expectation of watering them, right? Like whether that's someone's sick and you send them green juice and just build with them as a human, like that's where I believe just so much greatness can come from is just focusing on planting those seeds in a genuine, um, caring way with people in your world. And I think people would be surprised if it, not how much their life can change, but with action and just yes, knowing when to ask and doing all those things that we can do. It's just, it's a very powerful thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I I think you've done an amazing job at just building great relationships. Right. And I think you've, you've, one of the the core principles that I really like to see that, that you basically adopt it is this this long-term game. And I think like so many people just, just it's because it's tough, right? It's, it's not easy to think about stuff long term, right? It's easy to think about like the day to day or like yeah. the short term stuff, but if you take a long term frame, I feel like it's it's very tough to fail or lose, right? If you're especially if you're willing to do something <laughs> for just many years or, or yeah. willing to invest time in relationships for many years, you name it.
1: Yeah, I, I have a very simple quote that I that I say all the time. It's keep going, never quit. Four words. And I say that because like, over the years of interviewing people, you just, my biggest takeaway and just sort of uh, analysis from all the people is just first thing, they just kept going, you know, one step in front of the other every single day, did not, and then simply did not quit. Like it's easy to keep going, but then it's also easy to quit. You can keep taking the steps until you wanna quit. And once you quit, you, can, you know, you're out of the game, whether that's by, you know, not committing to your business or whatever it may be. But my whole point in saying that is the keep going, never quit mentality. I think just is simple and, excuse me, effective because that's the long game, right? Like the day I think about quitting is, you know, the day you die, right? Just the ability to fall in love with the process, be committed to the long game, in my opinion is what creates more happiness, what creates more fulfillment and what creates more um just commitment to anything if you know that you're committed to the long game, right? It's so easy and you see all on social media it's so easy to get distracted and you know compare yourself and to think about the short game to get certain things in life but you know like even for context like i'm in a committed relationship the past 3 years and like same thing, long game. Like why waste your time on something even unless it's for the long game that's my perspective that you know you just and you know this right you're older than me you just you quickly realize how fast time is and you know like i'm grateful to have both of my parents they're in their mid 50s and i just know that this life thing that we're all in and and are you know can get so stressed about every single day there's just such a bigger picture of like what's important and what matters that you know i don't think there's time to waste on short term um games
0: yeah yeah, time is such a. Have you heard of the the time billionaire concept?
1: Yeah, I actually read like a whole thread on it the other day. Really? I, I've heard of it, but then I like read this thread just to relearn it in a sense. Yeah, it's like a billion seconds is thirty three years, I believe. Yeah, around that.
0: Yeah, you we're, we're basically time billionaires, right? Yeah. and I think it's yep. It's and I love talking about this concept because it's time is finite, and I believe it's it's the most valuable. Thing in the world, because it doesn't matter how rich you are, yep. Everyone is given the same amount of time, and it's the one thing you can't buy, right? Yeah, so you can't like people who are billionaires, but fifty years older than us would probably give away most, if not all, of their money to go back fifty years to be where, where we are. So,
1: Pro- I mean, and I know he's like
0: probably, but all of them, I'm
1: sure, right? Like of, if you look at an eighty five year old and say, would you trade every dollar you ever worked for it to be twenty? Hundred percent of them, percent. Yes. And I even just like get the chills thinking about that because it's, you know, it's such a game of balance. Of, you know, that's why, in my opinion, like what I just said, like loving the process and the journey is the most important thing, um, in my opinion, because um, you know the, the time billionaire concept, like it doesn't last forever. Yeah. Right. It's just it's a dwindling, um, yeah, it's a dwindling number. Right. Yeah. So. I love that concept. Shout out to the Time Billionaires. Shout out to the Time Billionaires. <laughs> and, and even more than that, something that just came to mind is I remember, and this whole concept of time I think is such an important discussion because I remember the first um, like local event that I went to in my hometown in Richmond, Virginia. It was this real estate conference or event. I had no business being there. I was 15. This is actually before I went to this event in San Diego. 15 years old, I went with a friend of mine in high school. And I remember... Um, it was probably a room of five hundred people, and they had a phenomenal speaker there. And he asked, you know, who believes that they are the youngest person in the room? Of course, I'm 15, and I look at this room with like 40 year olds,
0: <laughs> still going through puberty. I, yeah, still, still going through puberty. Puberty.
1: I, I raise my hand, and you know, there's so many people that raise their hand. Probably like mid 20s, early 30s, whatever it may be. And then he's like, if you're under, if you're over 25, put your hand down. Boom, like half the hands go down. If you're, if you're above 20. Like, 20, put your hand down. Boom. I think there was like one other person in there that was like 20 or 19. And it's like, oh, if you're under, if you're above 18, put your hand down. So, boom, one hand standing, my hands up. And I remember he says, stand up. And he says, you know, when you think about getting started, whether that's real estate or whatever it may be, we probably all believe that you have the most time. Like, you have the most time, right? You're 15, you have your whole career ahead of you. And Everyone's like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, do do we all think that he has the most time here? Yeah, absolutely, young, young. And then he just went on to tell this story about you know someone that was close to him that was like eighteen or nineteen that passed away. And I remember it was like the whole room. he's just kind of it was like a hard throb story. He's he told it and it just really landed. And I think it's just such a simple story, but it's very effective, right? Because like you say, and, and we both agree, like we're time billionaires, but you know, no day is guaranteed, right? And I think just like understanding that and and I think about death a lot, I truly do. There's this concept that Robert Greene talks about in his book uh, called confronting your mortality. And it's just this constant, like more so, not positive nor negative, but just constant awareness of death. And I think it can be such a motivator if used in a like positive, uplifting way. Like I don't think about it like a negative, oh my God way, um, but a positive like re- reflection of like, does this argument matter? Like does this conversation that's not bringing me any ROI and you know I feel like I'm being taken away from like how can you reduce that? Like how can you just live a life where you are so focused on not wasting time because at the end of the day, as you said, like it's the most precious asset we all have here. Like even just last night, I won't mention names, but I saw a friend on social that one of his dear friends and his girlfriend died in a car crash and it's just you know you get reminders in life when you see that and you see that and i just think it's so easy to think that oh like we're healthy we're young we're doing our thing we're focused on our careers but you know and i and i'll say i am very grateful that i haven't had to deal with a lot of loss in my life Mm -hmm. and maybe the way i speak maybe people maybe think i would have just the way i think about death and time and everything um but I think it's more so from the appreciation aspect of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate it. Life moves by fast. Be mindful of how you spend your time and who you hang out with. And I think, I think a lot of that ties back to the, the concept we were talking about earlier, which is you can engineer your own luck, right? Because luck is basically a series of the, of these seeds that you plant. So it's, it's who do you hang out with your environment? You're in it's, what you eat even, you know, are are you exercising? Are you moving? And it's, it's all these little things on our, on our day-to-day basis and and how we spend our time and who it's with. They compound years down, right? Like it's very tough for us to see now in terms of like, what's where we're going to be in a few years. Like we can imagine it, yeah. but it's these, these significant things that you look back on that you mentioned where it's like, wow, I got this growth or this thing happened because of this one singular event.
1: Absolutely. And I think just that, like understanding that, right? Like the things you do today, you will see in, you know, six months, a year, whatever it may be. I'm a firm believer in that, right? In terms of just you create your own luck by the actions you put in today. And, you know, there's my girlfriend, Jacqueline Burnett, she always says focus to finish and her uh, she's related to uh, David Meltzer. If you're familiar with him, uh, he has an awesome podcast. He's been a mentor of mine for a long time, and just this idea of not—if you could do something today, why wait till tomorrow, right? And whether that's from a simple task like sending someone an email or shooting someone a text, or just whatever you feel is the, you know, right thing to do, or on your list of tasks to do. And of course, we can—we all go through ups and flows of productivity or not. Um, and I'm a huge proponent just in terms of how I spend my time, daily rituals, all that stuff. Um, But yeah, no, I I totally agree with what you said.
0: Tell me more about that. I want want to know more about like your (laughs) daily routine. Obviously, you're doing 75 hard. You're on A60. 63. 12 more days, man. You got this. You got this. We're rooting for you.
1: Uh, All all I tell myself is one more day. One one more day. day, One one more day. day. (laughs) That's that's how you got it. That's how you have to be. Dude, you have to. Um, And yeah, no, I think just on the topic of 75 hard, You know, for people that maybe aren't familiar, it's a mental toughness program by Andy Frisella. And here's what you got to do every day. You got to do two workouts. One has to be outside 45 minutes each. Uh, You have to drink a gallon of water a day. You have to stick to a diet. You have to not drink alcohol, no cheat meals, Uh, take an accountability picture, and then read 10 pages every single day of a nonfiction like business type of book and i did it once before in 2020 during covid and i will say just not only do you have such a physical transformation if that's what you're going for but like the true mental changes and the the mag like the magnified focus on discipline just i'll be the first one to say it. like i've never experienced something like it and it's not even because it's a program but just the simple things that aren't even business-related just transform how you live your life because you have to if you're committed to it from the way you manage your time, right? Like today, um, like we're doing this podcast and I knew that I had to get both my workouts in before I went on to, um, to head out to something after this where I was going to have to do it at 11 o'clock at night, which is not ideal, right? And just, it gets you so dialed in. And, and I think just in terms of daily habits, you know, Nowadays, or I should say the past 63 days, I haven't been traveling as much really at all. And I believe it's been so great because I've just been extremely focused and doing 75 hard when you're traveling. I think just it adds multiple layers to it that, you know, it can be unpredictable and it's a lot more challenging. Um, But I would say the past six months, one thing that I recently added in, into my daily routine is cold plunge are you familiar
0: yeah done 12 plunges yeah so i i've one in my backyard oh, that, I, that i use daily incredible
1: daily yeah love that so yeah that's definitely something i usually hit right when i wake up like first 10 to 20 you, minutes like
0: do you at your gym or you have it at home or i have it at home amazing oh, yeah amazing so
1: it's it's been so, i mean what are your what's your experience with the cold plunges
0: dude it's i think it's it's great because <laughs> like especially in the beginning because it's it's tough, but I also think ongoing it's that one thing it doesn't get easier by the way. Like anyone who thinks it gets easier or like enjoys it like yeah that's not me. Like for me every single day I'm like this is I don't want to do this, you know, but yeah. I think the fact that when you just do it and afterwards you realize like oh that wasn't so bad after yeah. you're done with it it just compounds the rest of your day. If that's how you start your day, right? For me it's it's workout and then cold plunge. Yep. It's it just sets the tone for you to have a lot of momentum. Yeah, I, I agree. And,
1: you know, to exactly what you said, it never gets easier. You just get better and you become more tolerable. And I think that's with anything in life, right? Like, whether that's from managing one employee to managing 10, it doesn't get easier. You just become better. And, or you even just, you're more prepared. Where, you know, seeing, it's so funny when you'll see people, even myself, like, you know, in the cold plunge on video. And some people, they it's very challenging for them. Some people can talk while they're doing it, and it it seems easier, even though they they've just gotten better. But then when they get out of it, they're like, "Whoa, wow, that was great! Wow, that was awesome!" And everyone's like excited, and it's like the after effects of it. Yes, but so many people don't want to do the hard thing, and whether that's from a cold plunge, from people that I know that I know, like the mental benefits to the physical benefits, they're just so vast. Where I know I don't know if you've been listening to Andy Frisella's podcast. Um, supposedly, which I don't, I didn't see this too much, but supposedly he would always make fun of people that do, did toll plunges or whatever. But recently, he started doing it, and I won't butcher what he said on his podcast, and I would highly recommend listening to it. And I'll have to go back and find the exact episode that you can link below. But he did it for like six or seven days in a row, and the way he described how he felt was just transformative and also just reassuring to how I thought about it and what it meant um so yeah i mean not even that people have to do cold plunges but find something hard to do and whether that's every day or finding something hard to do as like a big challenge once a year i think every successful person or or, or people that i deem as successful love doing the hard things right like there's a a group of guys that i follow i know a couple of them personally um like jesse it's is it's and um, my buddy De- Devin, who bear crawled a marathon right now. I think they start bear crawled a marathon. Bear crawled a marathon. That sounds horrible. He, he, he like broke a Guinness World record. Bear crawled a marathon, New York City marathon, I think two or three years ago. That's absolutely insane. And yeah, it's it's wild. And I just and you should I'll have to show you the videos after this. It's it's wild. You can bear crawl for like 10 seconds. Uh, I know, you know? it's like, crazy. 26.2 miles. But right now, him and a couple of guys, you know, Jesse Itzler, they're biking across America. I think they started in San Diego today. And I just love all of this this like, physical endurance, mental training stuff that I've sort of immersed myself in a little bit the past year. Where like two years ago, I've never ran more than three miles. Last year, I really started getting into running. I ran my first marathon last December. And just putting that daunting task like running a marathon on the calendar just truly changed the way i operated and i think it's so important for entrepreneurs to just chase things that are hard physically and even like a conversation i was having with a good friend of mine who um i'll say his name mark from iconic the incredible uh, art brand he was just saying wow man like he's so on his health game right now and he's like dude If I was only doing this at your age of just, you know, he's older than me and just the way he, how dialed in he feels and how not only accomplished, but the way it's like truly changing him, um, you hear that time and time again. And and the fact is health is wealth. And whether that's from just like being healthy or just like putting yourself in these extreme environments, um, I think it's such a exhilarating thing to do and just impacts you. Not only just from a mental perspective, but just in all areas of your life.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: so I love it, and shout out to the people that are crazy enough to, to bear crawl marathons and, <laughs> and run their bike crawls America. I'll, we'll get there one day in our own. Yeah, our one day, ride. one day, maybe in
0: our own. Maybe ride. not my bucket list in a, in a different world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, hey, uh, it's different world. It's different
1: world. I mean, and it's and that's the beauty of it, right? Like a daunting thing for someone could be running their first mile, or maybe running a mile under ten minutes, or seven minutes, or whatever it may be. And it's not just these big things. And you know, now having the experience of running something like a marathon um i interviewed a guy named james lawrence prior to running my marathon and he's known as the iron cowboy are you familiar with no, him no he's gonna blow your mind so he set out to break the record of the most iron man's done of the course of x amount of consecutive days so the initial record was five Ironmans back-to-back are are you familiar with iron man in terms of iron man is like the swimming biking and running yeah okay yeah like 2.4 mile swim um like 120 mile bike and then a marathon 26.2 mile run so prior to him going out to break this record the most consecutive in a row were five back-to-back so instead of thinking you know i'll do 10 or six this guy does this man does 50 of them back-to-back in all 50 states 50 iron man's 50 days 50 states 50 days 50 days. One every single day. And to make things better, that was in 2018, 2019. He broke the record again and did 101.
0: That is insane. 101
1: Ironmans back-to-back every single day. That's like, you know, 30% of the year, almost, right? And I bring up this and I reference this because I think it's so important in, in business and in physical endeavors and, and just in life. And what I've learned is it's one thing to hear that, right? And to you and I, and to, I should say a hundred percent of people that is absurd and crazy. And to think about what it took to do that, you would never want to do it. It would never be on your bucket list, but what he always says in, and, in, and, what he told me when I interviewed him is just, it starts with one step. One step, right? And when you think about it that way, like whether you're running 101 Ironmans or you're running a marathon or you're walking down the street, that journey, however long or small, starts with one step. And I just think that framework of thinking is so powerful to the point where, you know, I was asking him during our interview, like, hey, what advice would you have for me when I'm 20 on mile 22, 23 on my marathon because I'm going to listen to this And he, and again, I'm not going to, I won't butcher exactly what he said, but he said something along the lines of, you have to just be present. The next step isn't going to kill you. Focus on the next step. And that's where your focus must be. And in a business setting, I think it's, it's similar to that, right? Like well, I'm on the 63 to 75 hard, you know, there's only 15 days left, but you know, there's only one missed picture that it takes to fail today, right? There's only one missed minute of you working out for 44 minutes, now 45 minutes that it takes to fail, right? So it's like stressing the small stuff, but understanding the journey you're on and but obsessing over the present is um, where I believe just the majority of big thinkers, how they think and why they think that way. Because, you know, some people might be taking that first step along a short journey or others might have that you I know, mean, massive, daunting vision. And I think in business, it's more, it's maybe easier to think about versus like the the physical is like, oh my God, 101 uh, Ironmans versus like, oh yeah, if you do this in business and then it grows and you hire and, you know, more funding, whatever it may be. Um, it's just two different lanes, but I, there's so many intersects, I believe, in terms of like the mental framework um, yeah. when it comes to like these big, daunting things. So I've committed to run a marathon a year like for the next 20 years is my goal. just one a year and if I can do that, I think that's uh, that's the base of how I want to
0: live and you know we'll see where it goes from there. yeah That's amazing <laughs> Dude, the human mind is just so insane like yeah like, because like don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm sure like physically he's he's on another level but like really when you do 101, all it's all mental. Right. It's literally all mental. So yep. I'm curious in terms of like how how you can apply that same framework to like business. Right. Because like like because the mind is just so strong and crazy, imagine like just taking that same framework and like applying it to any different area. It's not necessarily physical, yeah, to achieve that 00001 percent success. So
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean even the way that he says it. You know he he talked about because he's by no means and he says this himself like the most physically fit guy and matter of fact to make I, this when he says stuff like this I don't even understand it to make things worse I forgot to mention this he ran on a fractured leg for ninety five days dude and at, you know at what point it's like at what point is that not even healthy but like the mind. Like he had this carbon fiber leg brace and just what they were doing to make sure he that to for him to make sure he succeeded and the mental toughness that had to go into that. You it's it's hard to comprehend, but again, it's how I relate to it. And again, some of these things we're saying it's like simple to understand, but to really apply it, it's like he just kept going and he never quit. Right? If he falls off his bike on day ninety seven and passed out because he's exhausted, like. He just kept going like that. And it's very challenging to do, but the most successful people in the world, either know when to quit and not quit, but just shift and pivot. Um, But yeah, they just, they keep going. And I think it's so cool just to even have a conversation about it of like, what does it take to get to that place where you have that level of mental toughness? And it's, it's the build of a, of of experiences, you know, business perspective of, you know, different ventures and how they lead to the next to, you know, how running your first mile leads to running a marathon, right? Like yeah. you have to experience the things you, that you get to experience to then learn what it takes and to realize either how close or how far you are from your desired outcome of how you want to think and how you want to, you know, take action on things.
0: Yeah. It's, um, this was, this was a, a thought I was, I was thinking about the other day, which is it's simple, but not easy, which is, right? We all know what yeah. it takes to, to lose weight, to get, you know, to get in, in a good shape, right? You go to the gym, you eat healthy, yeah. you eat below, uh, your, you know, caloric maintenance, right? In terms yep. of calories, but it's tough for a lot of people to lose weight, right? Uh, everyone's always trying to find the quick shortcut. And if yeah. you really think about these thoughts and ideas, it's, it's simple, not easy, even in business. You get distracted by these different business opportunities. You get distracted by this, or you're focusing on the wrong problem. Be it, yeah. You know, the root cause is, is right there. So Yeah,
1: absolutely. That's spot on.
0: Yeah. Cool. I, I want to talk more about the business side with you. I know we covered a lot on the podcast. Yeah. Tell me more about like, you know, media quit kits. I know you had an acquisition as well. Yeah. So yeah, would love to learn. Yeah,
1: more. absolutely. No, I'll, I'll tell the story of really how it led up. So. Yeah. And I, I mentioned it briefly, but for the people, again, the so media kits um, was a software that allowed creators of all kinds, podcasters, musicians, social media creators, to create a media kit with real-time data and analytics. So what is a media kit? Is It's sort of a digital resume where if you want to pitch yourself to a brand, they typically ask for a media kit. And in order to do that, you usually have to you know, create one on Canva or Photoshop. And what really led to this idea was back in... 2018 when I was first meeting my my co- my now co-founder, Kieran. Um, we were good friends. His good friend, Jeff J.R. big automotive YouTuber that lived in DC. And he knew we were both in the marketing space. And he came to us one day and, was, and said, hey, um, Pennzoil reached out to me. They asked me for my media kit. Can you guys make me one? Because I want to share it with them right away and I don't have one. So we make him one on Canva. We spend probably an hour or two making it look pretty, asking for his social media analytics, screenshotting them, or, you know, we're just making it look good. Send it to him and he gets the deal. And then three weeks later, he comes back to us and says, hey hey guys, Ferrari reached out to me. They asked me for my media kit. Can you go update my media kit? Because everything you sent is now outdated. I grew a hundred thousand subscribers. I've changed all my pictures. This is my most recent video, the whole thing. So we're like, sure. So you know, we fix it up for him and we're changing like ones to twos and threes to fours. And that's really when we asked ourselves, why isn't there a way for creators to create a media kit that never gets outdated, that you can easily share with a brand through a link in real time. And on the flip side, why isn't there a way for brands to view verified and trust and trusted data from these creators? And there really wasn't anything out there like that. And back in 2018, when we had this idea, we were just about to move to Arizona. I was like, just I was still in high school. We didn't have really the experience to go like launch a tech product. Like I didn't know anything about tech or SaaS, so we ended up shelving the idea. And I think it it speaks to just as you said, like planting the seeds. That was a seed, that an idea that we had that we did not execute on at the time. Fast forward to 2020, living in Arizona for a year and a half now. Kieran and I are now roommates. And we started seeing TikTok like really starting to blow up where like these, you know, the creator economy is thriving. Podcasters, TikTokers, we like to say, you're seeing these TikTok creators being like minted overnight. Mm-hmm. And we saw this and we we're like, hey, like let's go. Like this is a time for us to just not only commit to this, but we just see it as a market opportunity. So the first, I should say like, middle six months or from the middle of 2020 to the end of 2020 those six months it was just us bootstrapping it sort of ideating on this product kind of figuring out the business model getting thoughts from different creators asking them for feedback before we even had a product um and then over the course of that six months like our conviction just kept getting more and more and more to the point where we were coming into 2021 and we're like hey let's take this serious so to build the you know the product how we wanted to we had to go raise money, and it was my first time raising any type of outside capital. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, through the podcast, I had some incredible people in my in my network to not only help fundraising but to genuinely be a guiding light. There's one mentor that I, and and really friend of mine that I always love to give a big shout out to, who um, his name is Aristotle Loomis. I met him through Stephen Galanis, who is the CEO of Cameo, and Aristotle's just such the definition of what I believe a true mentor is someone that is there for you every step of the way someone that is there for you any time of the day someone that will like get their hands dirty whether that's by helping you craft an email to just you know what to say on a phone call like all the stuff that people might look for in terms of like what a true mentor is um but back to the story of we went out to fundraise in 2021 and you know it wasn't by no means was it easy at all yeah, you know, it took us over six months to raise our pre-seed round of funding, raised just over one point five million dollars from different from thirty-seven different angel investors. Wow. and you know, there's so many lessons that we'll, we can dive into about like fundraising thoughts, experience. But it was my first time fundraising. Period. Learned so much about you know corporate structure to fundraising vehicles to you know what whether we wanted to you know hopefully talk to a fund or do angel investors, um, but throughout those six months, January, 2021 to like July, um, or June, July, that six month period, it was a rolling close, took us a while to get it done. Finally launched the product in August of 2021. And, you know, before we launched, we had a team of seven full-time employees, three engineers, Kieran and I, COO, and then, um, marketing. Someone was helping, helping with marketing and just that journey and I, I pause before launch cause then we can talk about launch and the, the journey of the product itself, but just looking back, you know, it's always so easy looking back to connect the dots. And, and one of my favorite quotes is from Steve jobs. He says, it's, you can always connect the dots looking forward, but never looking backwards. So trust in that the actions that you're doing. And you know, I, I'll butcher it a little bit, but just trust in yourself that the actions you're doing today will, will be connected somehow, some way. And, um, yeah, that was the origin of idea of Media Kits, the fundraising process that we can dive into if you'd like to. And then you know we'll get into the the journey itself of Media Kits. But yeah, it was crazy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> cool. So, so tell me more about the, the fundraising, right? Like what made you decide on angel investing versus fund and like that whole process in terms of like how you're just meeting and pitching investors?
1: Yeah. So as mentioned, first time fundraising, I really got the whole just playbook of what is fundraising why to do it fundraising structures and th- there was one person that um i should say there's two people that really not only helped and they brought up one of them but someone that was one of the first investors in mini kits uh are you familiar with the brand fuck jerry yes so the founders of fuck jerry ben kaplan e. i know ben. i know ben okay yeah, sweet yeah. sweet Small so ben he he was one of the first people that really believed in the product and like Ben is so incredible as a friend as, as as a partner investor and just you know going back to the point that we talked about earlier of before you even get to this idea of, of pitching and all like pitching and all, all this stuff having you know that quality network that I did at the time it was less about pitching but just sharing an opportunity and getting thoughts from people and of course sharing that yes you are fundraising um but the playbook for us was you know simple right not easy simple yep. it's i have so many people in my network you have so many people in your network here and let's just you know the key is putting meetings in the calendar and creating that momentum like any fundraise is all about momentum right like the hardest check to get in the door is the first one and across the 20 or 37 i believe it was angel investors you know on, on the small end, it was $15,000 checks to average like twenty five dollars to $50,000 checks, and then a couple 100000 $150,000 checks. And in 2021, the venture capital market was in such a different space than it is today. And I think not only was it great timing for us, but just I'm grateful to have been in that environment to then now see both sides of it in terms of you know, either the lack of funding or the, you know, the abundance of funding like it was in twenty twenty one to different creative tools or web three, whatever it may be. Um, but you know, the fundraising process, it, it's a there's so many pros and cons of it, right? Like my co-founder Kieran, we were both co-founders, co-CEOs, and it was us spending a lot of our time fundraising when we're obviously still focused on building the team and actually doing a lot of the grassroots marketing ourselves and hiring and like really getting the product to where it needs to be from managing the the development team. And you quickly realize just how much of a time constraint it is on the actual business. And I think that that was not only a huge takeaway, but it's just for any fundraiser, it's such a long process. And of course, as you do it, you get better. Maybe you can shorten that timeframe down for sure. Um, but for us to raise the 1.5, it was just, you know, to get the 37 yeses, probably had to do 200 meetings, right? Or 150 meetings. And wow. to schedule those those out across six months, highly, you know, busy people, just takes time. Yeah. Um, but I'm grateful for the experience. And moving to launch, we launched um, August 11th, 2021, when, you know, the first user could actually sign up for Media Kits. And for context, and I think mean, there's there's so much to learn in here, is you know, we had this big launch party. One of our investors is a, a mentor of mine, Dan Fleischman, who incredible angel investor. He's he does a lot of these events called elevator nights where they're free events. He'll bring a couple hundred people together, have these world-class speakers, do them at his studio down in downtown LA, elevator studio. We partnered up to do a, a launch party, and it turned out to be such a incredible way to launch a product like media kits because we did sort of party slash networking events slash speakers on panels. Um And we ended the night with Wiz Khalifa performing and we had 700 creators there. We had some awesome speakers from Tanner Fox to like uh, these incredible TikTokers to to um, Dan and David Meltzer and just all these great people. And for me as a co-founder there was no other way i wanted to launch the product than to just like core people in my life and you know it's one thing to dm 600 people that i have met over the years that are creators and say hey i would love to have you try this out versus bringing them to an event bringing everyone together energy's high cool launch party and of course there was a a budget associated with that with whether that was khalifa or the event itself and just to make it a, a great event and the event was great, and it was a phenomenal time, and it was such, in my eyes, it kind of put the brand on the map and the product. But, you know, on the, the back end, and what people don't see is, you know, when there's, when you're trying to, I remember so vividly, Kieran and I, like a couple, the day that we're heading to the event, we're like scrambling to get the website finalized, like, Against the clock because, you know, having an event and then trying to match up development timeline to it can be challenging. Things are usually more expensive and take longer. And it was just sort of one of those things where, you know, we just need to get this product out there. And, you know, we kind of came down to the wire of launching, which then led to so many bugs and crashes. And long story short, the event probably resulted in in probably even like the week after a thousand signups, which maybe some people think is great obviously for us, it was like sort of a bummer, right? Oh, a thousand signups, free product. You know, some people aren't coming back, the site's crashing, everything. And there was this two, three month period, or I should say two month period, August, September, right? It was just sort of flatlined and we were just figuring it out truthfully. Like we were trying to fix the product. We had some users actually using the tech, sharing it and really, you know, being a power user in, in a way. And Slowly but surely, we, I, and I should say, like our team, we just became obsessed with how I do like um, organic grassroots marketing. Where a couple key things that we did that resulted in the first ten thousand signups for for users on Kids. Two things. One was organic TikTok content, like showcasing some of the creators and investors that we had, like Josh Richards, who's, you know, like 25 million followers on TikTok and showing his media kit to showing Wiz Khalifa's media kit in like fun, creative ways, Mm -hmm. which resulted in tons of organic signups on TikTok. And then two, it's so great. One of the guys that invested in media kids i'll say his name because he's just such an incredible venture capitalist peter lou from revelry ventures his brother was working for media kids and he, he's young younger than me and he told us about twitch and how not, not not told us about twitch but told us how there's so many creators that are just so die hard in the twitch community where that led to us launching our twitch integration. And when we launched our Twitch integration, which then you could connect your Twitch account, showcase all your Twitch data, so that wow. Twitch streamers could then share it with a brand. Um, I just started going very deep into the Twitch community on Twitter. We started doing all these cool giveaways, like, hey, we're gifting subscriptions, which is, you know, like a $5 donation or like monthly subscription to these different Twitch streamers. And we ended up growing just from like those two outlets. And of course, I'm missing some of the things like email, whatever it may be. Um, from September to the New Year, we got over ten thousand users, like organic, no paid media, like all grassroots stuff. And then three months following that, so January, February, March, leading into twenty twenty two, we hit over twenty five thousand users using the product. Wow! And at that time, it was direct to creator tool, meaning a creator can sign up for a media kit. On mediakits.com, create their media kit, share it with the brand. But we were getting so much interest from the B2B side. So talent agencies, record labels that say, hey, a creator of mine or a you know a musician of mine sign up for media kits. I have 10 other people that I manage. How can I create 10 media kits in one central location to then share my catalog of talent? so we ended up building out a whole b2b model which like wme sports and taylor gang and landing records and a handful of different management companies were then building you know 10 20 50 different media kits for their talent rosters so that they could easily share you know hey here's 10 creators across our talent roster all their real-time data i send it to you today it'll be the same and accurate data in three months right because so many agents and just the whole creator space it's all about speed you know speed to see the data to close a deal like it's and especially with with talent agents right it's like go 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 where you know one of the key problems that we wanted to solve is just the the simplicity of sharing data in real time and not having to worry about it because if i share something with you today about my podcast or whatever it may be it's a pain to go back every month every three months every six months and just update something it's so mundane especially if we don't have a team doing that yeah um but that led us to like early 2022. And then we really came to like um, the, the next phase in my opinion. And, and mind you, like the journey of media Kids, it's so crazy looking back because from start of like launching the product, of course there were like six, eight months build up before launching in terms of the fundraising and ideation and everything. But from launching August, 2021 um, we got acquired just over 12 months later at the end of August, 2022. And Bring us back to early 2022, we, get, we came to a point where we were thinking about the next fundraiser. Like, hey, let's go raise our official seed round. We were making tons of great progress. We ended up getting, uh, we locked in a lead investor. And this was over the course of like three, four months. And I'll skip over a lot just for the sake of, of timing and everything. But we came to the point where we were so deep in the fundraising zone, had all this momentum, you know, we're building the team and, you know, there's so many different hiccups and problems and things you're trying to solve in the early days of finding product market fit and building momentum in a small startup. um, When simply um, the CEO of a company called Viral Nation reached out to me on LinkedIn and I was familiar with Viral Nation. Funny enough, I, I saw them like a week before the CEO reached out just in the press and just, I was familiar with the brand. And that was the company that ended up acquiring us in September of 2022 after going out to toronto meeting the team in person like building the relationship with all the executives over there and mind you, you know, they're a team of 400 people they they raised a, a big round of um, private equity this is all public info Of they raised like 200 million dollars private equity 250 canadian they're in canada yeah and it's just something that when it came to the decision of going down the acquisition route or not not only was it did it feel so right from what the way the product fit into their ecosystem of they manage thousands of creators exclusively we can fit our talent roster product directly into them they do influencer marketing at scale for some of the biggest brands in the, in the world yeah to be able to use a tool with the creators that they work with and you know i'll pause there because i don't you know i i don't know what direction you want to go in yeah. from here but you know the journey of me to get and i'll summarize it with this is just in my eyes the ability to learn from start to grow to scale to exit from a fundraising perspective from a team perspective and to do that in 12 months i'm so grateful for it but the amount of lessons you know mind you and going back to the beginning of the podcast i didn't go to college i didn't i don't have a business degree right it's just i've learned so much the past you know 12 18 months throughout that journey that in my opinion is like in my opinion is the the foundational element of how i am going into you know these this next journey of my career and just my life overall in terms of the lessons and the people i, I did it with and yeah, it was a quite the journey
0: yeah no that's that's amazing and, and the fact that you're doing this or have done it and you're still just 22 which is <laughs> like when people graduate college yeah is, is insane and so I'm, I'm sure you've learned a lot a lot a lot along the way so i, I guess what's what's next right like do you want to start more businesses do you want to have more time to double down on your podcast like what yeah. what are you what are you thinking
1: yeah i mean I, I would say you know there's there's a beauty in the unknown and right now it's absolutely doubling down on the podcast i know we talked about it a little bit prior to the show today but i've always been fascinated with not only podcasting but podcast tech and to be building tools in that space where right now I recently launched a product. Uh, I'll talk about it called listener.fm. And it's to help podcasters save time in the post-production process. It's using AI. You simply drop in an audio file and it, you know, as of now, spits out titles, descriptions, show notes, el- so many different types of assets and content that you can use to save time and make your life easier as a podcaster or your podcast network that um, manages shows. So, spending a lot of time there, of course spending time on the podcast and, you know, one thing that I will say I'm just excited about is angel investing, like venture capital as a whole. I think from just over the years seeing different deals come across my table and learning, you know, what I did in terms of our fundraising process, very interested in, you know, one day raising a fund and just, you know, pursuing that.
0: Yep. Um, so we'll see. Nice, nice. And the AI Especially with how hot AI is right now. And as more and more people have podcasts, it's like what you said, it's instead of having to pay a full time person, having to listen to timestamps or figure out how to edit shorts, even. Yeah. Right. Like if, if that could all be automated through AI, that'd be insane.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think, of course, there's so much buzz around AI. And, and I'm not a technical person. I'm building this product with a, a really good friend of mine. And I just, and I think it's such a important, question to ask yourself is like, am I fit to build this product and whatever business it is, right? Like if you are solving a key problem that you're having, I believe you can be so much more convinced and bought in on it. Meaning with listener, we were talking about this before, like I use the product that we've built in the beta form that it is like very early stage bootstrapping two people, myself and an engineer. I use it every single episode that I put out because it saves me time and it and it works and it's simple. And I just think that that mentality is a recipe for success. Same thing for media kits, right? Like I was pitching my podcast to different brands or even pitching it to different people. Sometimes I'd reach out to someone that has an agent and was like, hey, um, you know, thanks for reaching out. Send us over your media kit for you or your show. And I, I've dealt with media kits for so long prior to, or even um, just people reaching out to me when we were starting media kits saying like, hey, my name's Jessica, here's my media kit. Take a look. If you want to have me on the show, let me know. Or, you know, booking agents would always send over media kits. So I think just by having like industry experience and what like venture capitalists say, like founder market fit is such an important question and kind of how I think about this next phase of, of my journey of like, what have I learned? And, you know, what resources, tools, people do I have access to that I can pour, you know, all of this experience or newfound experience and knowledge into and right now I'm you know it's into listener FM so we're gonna start spending time and I'm super excited about it.
0: That's amazing. I want to wrap up going back to the podcast because you've interviewed so many people, right? And so I I have a few questions here just to wrap Uh, how about your guests. Right. So having interviewed over four hundred very successful people, what would you say is the one common denominator, maybe there's multiple that you've seen across all of your guests and why they're successful.
1: I would say, you know, one thing that, and I said it earlier, and I'm not, this won't be the the key answer is of course the, the keep going and never quit. Like that's something that every guest that I've had on the show, if I take a step back and look at a guest from afar and say, do they keep going through adversity? Yes. Did they simply not quit when they they should have? Like so many stories that you hear, like every logical person that is not in the building entrepreneurial mentality like would simply quit and they didn't. So that's one side of it. If I was to, you know, really seek for a new answer, I just think that as someone that truly loves the art of a story, right? I'm someone I just read, Richard Branson's biography. I, I'm always listening to podcasts, not of just like podcasts, but people that are interviewing people, hearing stories. I am obsessed with the art of a story, the art of what led someone to doing something and just the journey of that, because it's so easy to look at the end result of someone or something. And like, even today, right, this is a context and this will all come full circle to the answer. You know, you see someone like Jeff Bezos and Amazon, and you're like, how do you build a company like that? Like, that's, Insan- Insanity. And today, I, I met someone that's actually a a a user of Listener FM, and I won't say his name, but we were just catching up, first time meeting, and he was like, you know, we were talking about fun fact, right? So he was one of, if not the first, like affiliate of Amazon, and he said that like Jeff Bezos reached out to him when he became the first affiliate of, of something like way, way, way back in the day. And he has this email and he sent him a t-shirt and he was like very personal and just like wanted to get his experience and just, you know, you hear, you hear that and you're just like, wow, like the stories of what led to greatness sometimes go unheard unless you're someone like you or I or whoever, just that like really seeks to understand the journey where, you know, if I, if I to now answer the question, the biggest thing that I've learned is just not only that everyone has a story but the story is everything the journey of taking that one step and like figuring it out it's like the beauty of everything is no one ever had it figured out until quote-unquote they did right like it's so easy to look in, at all of the people that you see on social and 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 you know you see this glamorized version of success or their journey or it's easier you can do it fast whatever it may be but you you look at the most successful whether that's billionaires whatever it may be however you deem success and you just realize like we all started somewhere and most of the time people started in worse c- conditions than you did whether that's from you know where they were from or just their backgrounds or just the lack of you know family in their life whatever it may be and I just think that not only is that such a a big takeaway for me but it just reminds me of like wow like be obsessed with the journey because you can't obsess over the outcome because if you know if you told jeff bezos in the early the late 90s where amazon would be today like not only yes he would believe it but he couldn't focus on you know alexa amazon alexa in the late 90s right like you have to focus on the task at hand and that is what creates the opportunity for greatness is by focusing on the task at hand and you know putting in the effort day in and day out and I would say is, is the biggest takeaway for me nice nice
0: I want to kind of do like a, a quick shot clock of, <laughs> of specific guests that you yeah, interviewed to kind of to sure. kind of wrap up so you've interviewed Elon Musk's mom what would you say was the big thing in, in her parenting in terms of like how do you how do you create Elon Musk <laughs> you know
1: yeah yeah it, it's so yeah that interview was so great because I think when you think about that, like exactly what you just said, right? Elon Musk, such a character. You think about him as this man, but his mother, right? The the The, the woman who raised him and his circle of influence, like, that set the foundation of who he is and his story and his childhood and everything. And I think one of my biggest takeaways from her is just, you know, they were coming from South Africa, traveling a lot. Um, dad wasn't around much. Like they just had this um, just such a strong family unit f- across Tosca whose sister and his brother Kimball where, you know, I think it's some um, sometimes, especially in family it's like, you know, one sibling does this and one sibling does that and, you know, they're all spread across, they have their own priorities in life and it seemed that her and, you know, the, the Musks family was just so like locked in and aligned in like such a family unit and I think that was just like a high level takeaway without having to like really try to dig deep into that interview.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, you know, the thought I just got, because you're, you're talking about family and, and like that core value and principle. I think that's so underrated. So I was just at a, I was just at a mastermind this past uh, weekend in Cabo. And it was a room of 150 different business owners. And there was a, 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 section where everyone broke out in groups and so they pair you basically with people in your specific revenue range and so there was two tables out of like i don't know like 30 tables i'd say or like 25 tables two tables specifically and those two tables had all of like the eight figure entrepreneurs like people who were doing over a mil month and there were only I don't know, like seven people in the whole, out of 150 who were in that upper echelon. Four out of those seven companies, were the founders were husband and wife. (laughs) It was very interesting because my COO pointed it out to me. And I thought it was an interesting topic. But as I think about it more, and as you just brought up the family aspect, I'm like, it's just so key because yeah. you need that like selfless environment. You need that, that loyalty, that bonding, because like, I think it's very easy to grow up in this world and, and you kind of just go on your own path. Right. Like, totally. especially, I think it's like, it's almost like, I don't maybe glorified. It's not the right word, but it's like, Hey, the moment you're 18, you have to become independent. Mm-hmm. You're on your own. Yeah. Right. But, I think that the people who are are achieving a lot of success, you have to find that group, whether that's your your current family, whether that's a friend group that yep. really uplifts and supports you, because it's it's hard enough to get to from <laughs> point A to point B, yeah. Let alone try and do it alone, like it's yeah very tough. So, you're spot on,
1: and I think that's speaks to like May Musk as a woman and how she raises the kids, and like they're all doing so many great things in their own right. And yeah, I think it just speaks to like how can you find your family, whether that's your like actual family or things like masterminds of people that you trust that you can be vulnerable with that you can you know treat like family as in like you would do anything for them, you would take a bullet for them. like where's that pack? And I think that's so important as a man as a leader as in business or you know even just I know like for example, I ran my marathon by myself, didn't know anyone. I guarantee you and I, I hopefully I will do this this year if I had, a group of guys running it in the race, and the you know, there's that level of like pushing yourself more as a collective, yep. right? That I think is so key in, in any aspect. That I think that interview for sure is, speaks to.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Robert Green, you've also interviewed Robert is yeah. basically the the king of psychology. He's written books like Forty Eight Laws of Power, Art of Seduction. What were your big takeaways from from your your meeting with Robert Green? Like, how how does someone just Know human nature so well, yeah. you know.
1: Yeah, it, it's so cool because I, I loved his books for years, and I met him through drama at an event, and then I interviewed him online in 2020, and then more recently, like we've stayed connected throughout that time, like phone calls. Like, I, I consider Robert a, a good friend in terms of someone that if I, if I want to ask him a question about relationships or whatever it is, like he'll he'll like, he'll pick up, and I'm grateful for that. And more recently, I got to sit down with him in person at his house, like three months ago, and like really do a like, an hour and a half sit down interview. And he's just incredible. First of all, like his lifestyle is so unique. Where like before even answering your question directly, like after the interview, he brought me into his writing room, and you know this he's yeah. not doing the most, and, and not, he's not doing that well he's to sitting in certain chairs and you know he has, he had a stroke or i think two strokes two strokes over the course of the last handful of years where you know he's just he's conscious of his of his time he's had death scares all this stuff but we go into his writing room and this may be out there but he handwrites every single page of a new book that he writes handwrites it and then transcribes it by reading it out loud onto, you know, his Mac or whatever it may be, because he can't type. And just it's it kind of brought me back a step where, you know, I spent a lot of time on my phone or in emails, doing texts or phone calls. And when you read a book such as Forty Eight Walls of Power, I, I heard this one time where it's like you can read a book and you can read a chapter and it can be a quick, easy breeze and you learn something. But when you read a Robert Greene book, it's so dense. And you truly can appreciate either how much time or thought or energy went into cultivating the literature in which he writes. And then seeing the other side of it of like his process, you know, from handwriting his work to then taking the chapter, which then leads to like 150 note cards of research prior to getting to the point where he's handwriting it and then just his room and the surroundings of pictures and memories and no like r- true technology and just how he immerses himself for literally no joke, like 12 to 18 hours a day, just writing. Like, wow. He's not on social media. His team's building, his, his his team's posting all this stuff. He's just writing. Like when he works on a book, he, re- you know, he works on it for four or five years and it is, it is his life. Like, his life, every waking hour outside of eating and just doing the life stuff, and you know maybe trying to go on a walk here and there. He's just so in it, and I think it speaks to why he is so great. But just his obsession with human nature, and you know even outside of his like his work ethic and how he works. You know, one of the biggest things about the Forty Eight Laws of power is like it can be very manipulative, and people say dangerous. And I think the biggest Lesson that Robert says that I have taken away is you know, it's a book where if used wrong, the lessons that you can manipulate people, you can be a bad human if you use these powers or you know, 48 laws of power, if you use the power for negative reasons. But it's about how can you equip yourself to know when people are trying to take advantage of you, to know when where people are trying to just be, you know, to to do things that you wouldn't even recognize in terms of uh, like the law of human nature. So yeah, he's someone, he's one of my favorite authors and even just his influence on me has led me to really immersing myself in stoicism as a whole, you know, Ryan holiday, who's more of like one of his mentees is another great author who I, I love his work. I actually had him on the show like way longer ago, like in the early days of the show. And I, I really want to have him on again. Um, but just everything stoicism, life, death, laws of human nature. I think it's so important from just understanding it, but also in business, right? Like in yep. relationships, I always tell people, no matter what business you're in, you're in the people business from, and of course like things change with AI in terms of what people can or can't do in, in terms of how, how things are automated. But you're forever going to be dealing with people and understanding his work, I think just gives you an advantage
0: in life. 100%. Yeah, I... um. I mean, I, I, I know quite a lot of people, but I would say Robert Green is the one guy I can say where I'm like, I'm a fan of this guy, <laughs> like just a full on like yeah fan. So hopefully I see him. Him one day he's like, cause when you read, it's like what you said, when you read those books, it's like, how did you even distill it into these 48 laws? Like, like, how did you, even, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just crazy like anyone who's ever, who's read his books so
1: yeah and, and the density and just to see like he still has like original note cards from like the crazy. learning process and like the discovery process of all of his books like he's opening all these things and you can just see the like year like the decades and just, that went into what deems his now as a success and I don't know if people know this, but like he wasn't he was a like nothing writer until his like late 30s. And he had no success. He didn't, like, the 40 Laws of Power didn't come out until I think he was, like, early 40s. Like, he struggled a lot in his early career to then now see how, like, mainstream and how successful his books have been. I think it just, you know, speaks to our whole conversation about just one foot in front of the other and, like, all of his experiences and that journey led for him to be able to distill these lessons and laws into the words that he did. And I think it's just, it's so powerful, but he is someone that is just the most, like, he's so committed to his craft yeah. that it's, it's in undeniable or unbelievable just to see, you know, how he does what he does. Yeah. So
0: yeah. Shout out to Robert Green. Shout out to Robert Green, man. So you were, you were basically one of the last people to interview Larry King before he, he passed away. Would love to learn more about like what your takeaways with with Larry was as well. Yeah, so
1: the Larry King story, it's it's so quite shocking how it came about looking back. So just the brief was, I ended up interviewing Tillman Fertitta, who, owner of the Houston Rockets, yep. and he was promoting his book. I had out on the show. I got invited to this dinner in Beverly Hills at the Mastro's location, which mm-hmm. Tillman owns. It was like 20 or 30 different, people that helped promote his book, podcasters, creators, whatever it may be. And I ended up meeting um, this guy named Chance King at this dinner, who happened to be Larry King's son. And before I get into what led up or what I learned from Larry, I think it's just so important to have the context. Um, met Chance at this event. The following weekend, I was hosting an event with Drama, Robert Green or not Robert Green, This with Rob Giordak. Uh, drama, like all these cool people ended up inviting chance to it. We became friends, just hit it off. And sometimes it's just, you can't predict these things. The following week, I'm walking around century city mall and about to leave with my girlfriend and a friend and Kieran. And as I'm about to leave, guess who comes stro- st- I say st- strolling around the corner. Cause he's in a wheelchair. Larry King passes me at this mall a week after I met his son and it's just one of those moments. Where you're like, are you kidding me? Like, I, I've always wanted to interview Larry King. I've, you know, written that in my journal for years. It happened to meet his son coincidentally, and I ended up just turning around, and going up to him, just introducing myself, saying, "Oh my god, like, I met your son Chance. I just wanted to say I, I admire you and your work. Got a quick picture to send it to Chance, and it was just like a cool moment, right? And that led to, um around i should say this was like november or october yeah october 2019 is when this was all happening and you know i don't typically i'm not the one to say like, oh can you get this interview for me like ask oh do this do this like can you help me get this interview in a sense but it was just one of those times where it just felt so natural right like given larry's age and just he doesn't he didn't do podcasts a lot i figured i'd ask and chance ended up saying you know he's I wasn't doing too all the time, coming out of a stroke. I couldn't do it at the time. And then, fast forward to Thanksgiving, um, I always try to text people that I care about or that I think of and just say, Happy Thanksgiving. We ended up texting that day in, in November 2020 or 2019. And it was just kind of circled back. And he was like, Hey, by the way, I spoke with my dad again. He's doing better. He said he'd love to do the show. Let me know when you'll be in LA next and we'll schedule it. And I was still living in Arizona. And I was like, I'll be there in the next two weeks. And we ended up scheduling the show December 10th, 2019. And looking back, it was just crazy timing because that was really one of the only, if not based on what I know, the last interview he really did in his studio, because then, you know, Christmas or holidays and then New Year's and then like COVID early 2020 and someone like him who was 87 years old, he was not doing anything, not seeing anyone. And the day he passed, it was, I remember it so vividly. I remember waking up and like a handful of friends were texting me like, oh my God, do you see the news? And, you know, it's one thing to, uh, you know, I, I thought of my friend Chance who just lost his dad and just how, how hurt he must be. And, you know, chances my age, twenty, twenty-two 22 now, 23, his dad, 87. It must be so hard, right? You have so much yeah. life ahead of you. And outside of just like, the loss itself, just that interview meant so much to me because like the context of I was 19 and Larry King's 87, it's like a 67 year age gap. The context of him being born in 1933, me, be, me being born in the year 2000 and us being in these similar but way different fields of like he's the you know the the godfather of journalism interviewing all that stuff and I'm just like young podcaster that wants to do this for like the foreseeable future it was just such a moment of clarity and reassurance of just you know being that 17-year-old kid in my bedroom walking around with a pair of apple headphones to then excuse me sitting down with larry king in his office it just really proved not only proved to me but just reassured and i think so many people and i should say we all have these moments in life where or hopefully you would have one one day where you were just reassured that what you're doing like is right and to keep going And you have like a positive sign and like that was time that interview with larry king was that times a thousand and you know to the main point one of the biggest lessons I learned from him. And I said the one thing earlier about the quote I live by is just, he says, I've never learned anything while I was talking to, to just focus on being a great listener. But outside of that, you know, I asked Larry the question, I said, what makes people great? Because he interviewed like every single, like throughout his career, like every president while he was doing, you know, you know these interviews from athletes, to entertainers, like the biggest people in the world. Right. So I was like, what makes people great? And he said, greatness is driven. Like, those who are great are always the most driven. And just, of course, it's one thing to hear. But when you, you know, when I referenced that Larry, not Larry King, that the Robert Greene story and someone that's his age that's so driven to write and pour his heart into these different novels, like you just realize that that simple statement of drive, meaning just pouring your heart and soul into what you do and to being committed to it it's just so apparent in in terms of what creates greatness and what creates that opportunity for greatness. And I think that's a very, not only valuable insight that I learned, but something that always I I think about when I think about that interview with Larry King And, and more so just he is so, he was so present, right? Like people, sometimes in, you know, people that have interviews or maybe you meet someone at an event, Sometimes you can notice people like aren't making eye contact; they're busy, they're their heads somewhere else, and like you just know, right? Yeah, like, you know, yeah. like they have things that are going on, like yeah. <laughs> nothing I can do right now. Well, maybe like zone them in. You're like, like, should we postpone? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly, right? And and you could just—it was a different level of presence with him. That it just looking back, you could just—I could feel the decades of presence and just greatness was just sitting right in front of me. And, and even looking back, like, I get the chills and, and I'm like, wow, like that was, just, it was such a surreal moment from like the, the morning of, of, like, I'm interviewing Larry King today. This is crazy. To then like being present in that moment with for 45 minutes. Like I can still picture it so vividly. It's, it's yeah. And, and I'm, you know, just to like, wrap up the point, I'm, I'm so grateful for it. It gave me so much reassurance of like the path you're on, like one foot in front of the other, like stick to it. Um, And I'll, and I'll go back a lot and like watch those clips because, you know, not only Larry King and the passing, but it just reminds you that, you know, one day, every single person I've ever interviewed will be not be here anymore. And same thing for me. Right. So it just speaks to the, the value and, you know, the, the dedication to the craft of wanting to have great conversations to, you know, to create these, you know, like time capsules of storytelling that larry king has done so well um over the decades that he did it and yeah it's it's definitely one of the if not the most you know like cherished interview i've done
0: yeah that's amazing (laughs) cool i I feel like we covered so much in terms of just everything all around i think that's that's a great high point to to wrap it up so i appreciate you coming on on today's podcast absolutely and uh dude i i'm just just hearing your story really motivates me too to really push on on this podcast but hearing like you know the stories of people you've interviewed and stuff like it's your your purpose is just so much more and i think i'm excited to see this next chapter for you in terms of like what what you're going to tackle next so
1: thank you so much Tim i really appreciate it
0: of course man thanks for coming
1: thanks for having me here